Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by the itch on my right leg. Instead, it's brought to you by CrimeCon! That's right, on June 9th to June 11th at the JW Marriott in Indianapolis, we're going to be at CrimeCon, along with a whole bunch of other podcasts and a whole bunch of other really cool crime investigators and reporters, people that you've been watching for years and you know you want to see. So, you need to be there, because it's going to be cool. And as a special offer to our listeners, if you go to CrimeCon.com and enter the promo code SIDEWAYS20, you'll get 20% off your admission. CrimeCon.com and SIDEWAYS20. Thinking Sideways. I don't get it. Uproot the aliens. You must unlearn what you have learned. I don't know. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Thinking Sideways, the podcast. I am Devin, uh, joined this week by Joe and Steve. This yeah, week, this wow. week. Okay, special yeah. episode. Special episode starring uh, Steve and Joe. Joe and I, just, I just want to know who the other two guys are, because really, he's he's spreading crumbs all over my chair, and it's really annoying. <laughs> it's from me. that ham sandwich, I think. I kind of that suspect, bastard! <laughs> I kind of suspect we're being transitioned out, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, hello, retirement. This week, we're going to talk about a mystery that's going to make half of you really happy and half of you turn off immediately. Um, and that's an internet mystery. Because everybody loves a mystery that's in the tubes. I like them. I think they're super interesting. Some of our listeners like them, but it turns out a lot of our listeners hate them. And that's well, why we're like not top rated in true crime. I guess. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I should say this before you turn it off. There is some a little international intrigue involved. There's some spy stuff going on, maybe. Oh, Espionage. You know. That just, Germ you warfare. Know. Possible state actors involved, or possibly not. You know, wait. Does it, it does a computer virus count as germ warfare? Yeah, I guess okay. so. Sure. I yeah, mean, if not? beetles do, I guess you know, yeah. why not, right? Okay. okay. All right, yeah. Okay. All right. This week we're gonna talk about uh, GhostNet, which is also Yulinghua in Chinese, but we're gonna call it GhostNet. I like that better. I'm not saying that a bunch of times. GhostNet. I yeah. like it. Sounds like a movie. Ready to jump So right that's in? a lady at the top of the stairs that is only seen like once a year. Ghost Ye- net kind of ghost? Yeah. Wrong kind of ghost? Fishing with a net? Ha. Okay. Mm, uh, I get it now. Uh, failed bad joke. Yes. Yeah, pretty bad. All right. I'll, I'll get out of the way. Okay. Start it up. In 2009, researchers from the University of Toronto's Monk Center and the Cambridge University, from here on out, we're going to refer to them as the InfoWars Monitor, concluded a... 10-ish month joint investigation that was requested by a representative of the OHHDL. Office of His Holiness is, the Dalai Lama. Yep, Office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Um, and this this uh, meeting took place, the request took place in Geneva, hmm. which is a safe space. 
for him anyway. For for some people. The investigation under um, uncovered one of the most widespread hack, hacks in history, perhaps the most widespread hack in history. Certainly, I would say the most widespread hack that we're aware of. Yeah. I would agree with that final um, phrase. Yeah, that, that we're, we're aware, aware of. of. That's probably a which much means it wasn't going on now. Yeah, and that just means that it wasn't the best hack. Um, but computers in at least 103 countries, yes, you heard me right, 103 countries were affected, and researchers think that it was um, almost 1,300. Individual computers. Individual Yeah, not 1,300 countries, I hope. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, in general, it is believed that China was the perpetrator of this attack, but no one can be certain and i have my doubts which is why i thought this would be a good mystery mm-hmm. and these computers mostly belonged to embassies governmental ministries and then almost all of the dalai lama's exile centers were affected as well and the thing is um even though ghostnet was discovered as recently as 2011 at least one government um canada has uncovered an instance of ghostnet or the bug that is referred to as ghostnet um they they discovered an instance of that and it was in the the canadian official finance department was the was where the computer that was infected was discovered Mm. um this is of course according to an anonymous source because governments don't readily admit things like this the computer was probably a hand-me-down from the foreign ministry yeah probably can't imagine the the chinese are interested in the, the canadian finances i saw something about it was like a year or so after all this got done. Another one was found in India, and I think another one was traced in Iran. So I mean, it's it keeps popping up. Yeah, despite the fact that, and we'll talk about in a little bit. We're going to kind of delve into the the whys and hows of this, um, and we'll talk about how, why it was so prevalent. Um, and it's because it was a pretty dang good hack. Mm-hmm. So let's jump in to the first how. We're going to talk about tech. So we're going to talk about tech. Cool. And it's going to be a little boring. I'm sorry. I don't think it's boring, but I think a lot of people are going to think it's boring. No, I see, uh, lots, I see lots of joke, joke <laughs> opportunities in the title of this that is the subhead. Yeah, I think it'll work out well. Um, so first we're going to talk about Trojans. And for those of you who don't know, Trojans are giant horses that once roamed the land before shedding their physical form and evolving into an internet-based life form. You left out the soldiers inside. Yeah, they reproduce by sending out mass emails and hoping that some dummy will download them, thus giving them access to anything that the computer's attached to and becoming mini-Trojans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how that works, right? That's what they are? Not exactly. No? <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's, a cute, it's a cute description, but... But it's actually not the worst description. <laughs> I will agree with that. So everybody knows, you know, what a Trojan horse is, right? I would hope. And so basically this is just a, a Trojan virus is a delivery system so that it's a it's like a little hidden like, you know, like the horse you know you know you let it into your city and then you just go to bed and then overnight it spits out some soldiers you mm-hmm. know kind of like that it is it's very it's similar your computer it's... it spits out a little line of code mm-hmm. that builds itself uh-huh. like a virus and yep. away it goes yeah yep. so this uh can be this can install trojans can install anything um from like small bits of spyware to key logging tech to bugs that will totally and completely take over your computer. And in our case, the Trojan known as Ghost Rat, and yes, that is a zero instead of an O. In Ghost. Ghost Rat. 
and Ghost Rat allowed hackers to gain total and real-time control of any computer uh, running Windows. It only infected Windows computers. Yeah, good old Windows. Which is, you know, was one of the original selling points of Macs is that they don't get infected, but that's uh, not true anymore. That so. we know of, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Ghost Rat could even utilize um, computers as surveillance machines by clandestinely turning on the audio recorders and the um, cameras. And the microphone so, and the camera? Yeah. Well, and they could record both of those things, you know, remotely or whatever. But basically, yeah, they would just turn on the camera and the mic and be able to totally surveil a room, any room that mm -hmm. the computer is in. Um, and that's one of the origins of, you know, people like me, even though I have a Mac, put little pieces of tape over their camera because oh. it you can turn yeah. the camera on without the little light showing that the camera's on being on. Yeah. And that's then why somebody's I cover mine. surveilling you. Have you, you guys watched uh, the TV show Black Mirror? Uh, it's a, a British of, show. I've seen a couple of episodes. I've seen a few episodes. But not Season much of it. three, episode three goes right down exactly what you're talking well, about in terms of gathering information and using it against people. I was going to say that if you watched Mr. Robot, it's like the first freaking episode has an instance of this. And in that case, that hacker was gathering surveillance information to blackmail people. Like they were gathering yeah, pictures exact, of somebody to blackmail thing. somebody. Um, but there are obviously larger implications and uses for surveying. Yeah, just people. surveillance yeah, in general. In general. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, what there's one of the new smart TVs that has, you know, you can tell, talk to it, Panasonic, whatever, do this, and people have figured out how to hack those. So yeah, that they're just, it's, an, it's a listening device. Well, in that the room was one now. of the things with Connects, too. Yeah. It's because it's always recording. I don't want to think about. I just can't wait for this in the future courtroom drama where Alexa is brought in as a witness. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that totally did. didn't just happen. Yeah, come back. Uh, did it happen? Well, yeah, no, actually, I'm, I'm talking about Alexa actually sitting in the witness box. But, oh, you know, yeah. but I think, well, but know, I know but, what you're talking. They, they but, do, but grab this kind stuff. of stuff, you know, we have, we've all heard of the Internet of Things. You get, you connect your fridge and your TV and your microwave and your toaster to the Internet, and then you can control it from your smartphone. And it turns out that's a really bad thing because the security and the encryption on those d devices turns out is really, really bad because initially everybody was like, well, who's going to hack your fridge? Except yeah. we've seen those instances where there's the nanny cam and the teddy bear that you can use your smartphone with. And then somebody walks in the room and the bear is talking in Russian to the baby. I mean, like, it's totally a thing because oh, yeah. they're, they just seem so innocuous, these little devices. That's well, why I'm not a big believer in the Internet of Things, personally. Oh, no. The Internet of Things is dumb. Yeah. I disagree. Me. I like the Internet of Things. I think that there's some <clears throat> improvements that can be made, uh, certainly. Time. But I think that that's just part of, you know, new wave technology implementation. Mm -hmm. Oh, but but uh, just another fun thing in the news that was in a, just a week or two ago. The uh, cops busted the guy with a pacemaker. Because he was making his big alibi was there was a fire and he was like, you know, like struggling to escape from the fire or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they managed to download uh, download information from his pacemaker. The pacemaker's record? The pacemaker basically said, <laughs> no, this guy's heart wasn't beating fast at all. Oh, <laughs> my God. And, uh, yeah, they, he was busted. I That's mean, crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, all these digital devices, they're, they're recording the crap out of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, long story short, that's why you should put tape over your camera. Hells yeah. And don't say anything sensitive around your computer because it's listening all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't have mine on. 
My camera's always exposed. I say all kinds of things to my computer. I know, and that's mm. why people secretly have pictures of us. <laughs> yeah, they have so, uh, even better pictures of Steve. <laughs> so Ghost Rat, back to the story, was a specific kind of Trojan, and it is most often referred to as an APT, or an Advanced Persistent Threat. Mm. Often, Trojans will be sent out just kind of, you know, like those emails from the Nigerian prince, just shotgun, to, just yeah. yeah, really just to as many people as they can possibly send them to on the hope that a couple people will be real dumb and infect their computer. And then they go for heavy payload real quick mm. and then um, they get eradicated from the computer. But the hackers already have what they wanted. Oftentimes, as we were talking about with, you know, trying to get information that you could blackmail somebody with or, you know, any financial records or just passwords or things like that. Um, APTs, however, are pretty much the opposite of that. Um, They're usually targeted at one organization, be it a corporation or a government or ministry or something like that. And they usually have inside intel on how to get into the system Pretty frequently, APTs are executed with um, like old school espionage skills. AKA a guy sticking a USB stick in a computer? <laughs> well, more like social engineering to get to the point oh. where that guy can stick that USB stick in to a computer. Okay. Or even, you know, so that they know. And by social engineering, you mean what? Okay, so social engineering is a term that generally refers to the old school manipulation of people. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. but I, I know what social engineering used to be called, but in like by social engineering, you're talking about actually manipulating it's still, no, people same thing. in real time? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, where you, know, you, try to, you convince people to do things that they shouldn't necessarily do by talking to them in person. I mean, you know, it's uh-huh. similar to... You know, you can call somebody and, and start a conversation with them and get information out of them by pretending like you know what you're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. little things like that. Or you can dress up like a janitor and pretend like you're supposed to be in that corporate office and walk around and nine times out of ten, nobody's going to be like, hey, excuse me, you're not the usual guy. What are you doing here? They're just going to ignore you and you're going to get away with doing a lot of research or intel work or, you know, again, stick in a USB in a place it doesn't exist or it shouldn't exist. I mean, and, and this is the other thing, right? Is that let's a lot of places say you should never put like a, it used to be CDs or floppy disks or anything like that, mm. that you don't know what it's on it. Don't put it in your computer because that used to be a pretty standard delivery system for these little bugs because it would just install into your computer and then all of a sudden you've infected everything. Yeah, people would go to Starbucks and leave a flash drive and some somebody would be like, oh, who's flash drive? I don't know. Well, let's see what's on it. Maybe I can find out who it belongs to. Mm-hmm. Boop, boop, uh, and walks the yeah. Trojan. Yeah, yeah, I know. But they're actually, so, they did a study at some university recently where they left a bunch of flash drives just laying around campus. And, uh, and if you download it, you got instructions on just bring it back to this department. And they found that like half the people that picked these things up stuck them into their computers. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and that's where the kind of social engineering thing can can come in handy, right? Is if you call if you have a target, a high value target you know, right? It's like the CEO of a company who's proven to be maybe not as tech savvy as they should be. And you know So the CEO of Sideways Co. Yeah, CEO of Sideways Co. And you 
want to somehow infect that person's computer. Well, you can go through the arduous process of trying to figure out if there's a backdoor exploit tech-wise where you can, you know, get into the hack of the mainframe, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or you can or, send him a phishing email. Or, or even easier, right, you can call his secretary and say... I am supposed to be in this meeting with him. I'm so sorry. Or my supervisor is supposed to be in my me- in this meeting with your CEO and he's running late and I just need to know like where are they meeting? Please can you tell me? And the secretary will take pity on you if you try it enough times. Mm. And you'll and she'll say, "Oh, they're meeting at this Starbucks." You'll go leave a flash drive where he's going to find it and it's oh, bait. oops, it's bait. Mm. And that's like an old school kind of social engineering technique, right? Where mm. you, you make somebody give pity on you and there you go. Uh. But yeah, or you can send a phishing email, which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh. So <laughs> all of that to say that that's one way that um, APTs are delivered is by social engineering. And the other way is uh, by spending a lot of money or manpower to expose those backdoor vulnerabilities that exist in all systems. It's not necessarily backdoor, but vulnerabilities that exist in like every single system. Hmm. There's always some way that a system is a little messed up. Pretty much. And it's not cheap to go that route typically. No. Because on the dark web, you can buy a lot of different bits of script and code or full on assault packages for systems, but that's not a cheap endeavor. Yeah, it sounds like from the research that I have been doing um, just around this project, not for my own anything, don't worry. Uh. (laughs) Um, It sounds like there are a lot of people who make a lot of money, basically make their living on finding these exploits and not exploiting them and just putting it out there on forums and saying, hey guys, just so you know, I have a way to get into this, goes to the highest bidder and letting a bidding war happen. And then, you know, eventually somebody will say, I will give you $3 million for that one thing. And they yeah. give them the back and they give them the little, like yeah. Zero day vulnerabilities. That yeah. Kind of zero yeah. day vulnerabilities is the technical term yeah. that I've been avoiding because I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Cause I don't know how many people are going to know it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of manpower or a lot of money to go that route. It's much easier to just call somebody secretary and, you know, hope for the best mm. or send a phishing email. Um, so yeah, the, all of that to say again, that APTs are typically very well financed. It is a long-term investment because the goal is to surveil for a very long amount of time. It's not to, it's, it's really quantity and quality over just like sheer volume yeah extracting volume at all i mean correct me if i'm wrong this is the way i understood apts and and tell me if i'm wrong here is i looked at it as is there's two types of ways to to rob a bank there's the smash and grab where you go in you grab as much as you can and you run Mm -hmm. and whatever you get you get or you're a bank employee and you just start funneling funds and embezzling a thousand dollars a day and do it for as long as you can because chances are you're not going to get noticed and you're going to get more long term. I would I would add it's more like it's a subtler approach. It's more like somebody getting a job at a bank to funnel five bucks a day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The I intention mean, is yeah. to funnel it away. Tiny yeah. amount. I mean, like even just like dropping a, you know, roll of coins mm-hmm. into your purse every day for six or seven years before you get caught. 
and then obviously like not spending any of that money. So by the end of your you know process, you you have a ton of money. You have a huge value there. So that that's a really good analogy. Yeah. Okay. You'd have to have a lot of coins to make it worth it. I mean, a roll of quarters is ten bucks. Yeah. So uh, yeah. ten three, bucks a day for seven years, th- eight years. Th- that's what three thousand dollars a year as auxiliary stealing? income. I don't know. In that's quarters, like three, that's like three thousand bucks a month, right? I, my math skills are hideous. Yeah. So, so it's thirty-six a year. Yeah, that's right. Right? Because yeah. ten dollars a day. K? Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah. That's more than I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was like, re- it's only three grand a year. That's no. stupid. That's a retire. lot of laundry. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not enough to retire, but it's not <laughs> nothing, yeah. especially it's not as change. auxiliary income, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of vague, and we've kind of like gone in a bunch of different directions, but that's because APTs are pretty vague in nature, and the way that they are deployed is oftentimes very different. Again, because. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be detected. Well, it's a, yeah, it's like an espionage. You know, it's like you don't want to protect your sources. You don't want people to know that they've actually been penetrated. So you know, you don't just when you get something, when you get some information, you don't just run out and act on it because right. that tells the other side that well, you exactly, know, you've been compromised. And you show your hands. And, and so. I would encourage our listeners to remember the thing that Joe just said mm-hmm. when we get into theories. No, I, that occurred to me too because yeah. I've, I've read ahead a little bit too. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I'm glad that yeah. you read ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there is a 53-page report that was put out by Infowar Monitor um, by Professor Ron Debert, who's the director uh, at the Citizen Lab at the Monk Center for International Studies at the University of Toronto, and Rafael Rohozinski, I think, uh, who's the principal and CEO at uh, SecDev Group. I read all 53 pages of this. And let me tell you, it was not easy reading. Hmm. It's a page turner. Yeah, I read some of it myself. Like, please turn to this page. It's good. And I really deeply encourage, if this is a mystery that grabs you, you should read this whole report because it's really interesting. But if you are just enjoying listening to the sound of my voice, don't, I wouldn't encourage you to read it. We will link it on the website. Yeah, just play this episode over and over and over again. Yeah, just on repeat. That'll be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next little bit here we're going to do is basically like a too long didn't read of the 53 pages of the report, <laughs> because I think it's important that we talk about the report and the investigation that happened. Okay. The investigation took place in um, two parts. One, the first part from June to November 2008. Um, and then the second part was December 2008 to March 2009. And again, as I mentioned, the whole you know, push to do this was because there was a request from the office of his holiness, the Dalai Lama. And yes, I am going to say that every single time. I read it oh. that way in my head every yeah. time. So I'm glad you're, cause yeah. I was going to keep doing it to you. Otherwise I, am. Gonna say, I just got to call him DL. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in June to November, 2008, the first part uh, was an on-site investigation in which investigators took time to figure out what the typical computer and info security practices looked like at the organizations that were infected or that they thought were infected. At this point, they didn't really know 
how many were. Well, they didn't know what they were dealing with. They didn't really know what they were dealing with, but they were trying to identify, is there a good password protocol? Is it possible that somebody just guessed some passwords, right, that Mm. got this information? Is there a different way that this information could be leaking? Is somebody inside the office sending... a rat, yeah. Yeah, or even, you know, just things like, did somebody lose a computer and didn't want to admit it? Or... You know, are you guys not shredding your sensitive document? You know, really just... And suspicious things were happening to for the the organization itself in terms of reactions and preemptive reactions. From the Chinese and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we're going to talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. But But that's what prompted them to ask for the help. Yeah. But basically what the investigators or researchers were trying to do at the get-go was what they used to do on Ghost Hunters right? Where they would like film something suspicious and they'd be like, all right, how can we recreate this with like normal environments? And then when they couldn't, they said, okay, there's a ghost here. Or in our case, when they couldn't account for, you know, the leaks that were happening, they said, computer. Okay. It was the computer. Okay. Something is wrong with your computers. This part of the investigation was again, primarily carried out um, in the Tibetan government in exile, so at the office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, since he had requested the investigation, or his office had requested the investigation, they were pretty sure that there was something going on there. From there, investigators designed their investigation. So this is post-November of 2008. This is December. Uh, They did intense on-site interviews, um, again, to see if there were any other reasons for leaks. Did you yeah. lose your computer, dude? Just tell us. Are you a rat? Yeah. Are you sending you email? Probably looked at people's bank accounts. Probably. Did they uh, take a close look at the DL himself? That's what mm, I'm wondering about. No. What, what if he was the rat? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I somehow suspect not, but maybe. Um, Bring him in for interrogation. <laughs> So he won't talk. <laughs> um, okay, and then also um, from December two thousand eight till March two thousand nine, investigators analyzed the information that had been gathered in the first phase, um, and they found some interesting stuff. Again, I'm not going to go into great detail because I don't feel like I need to talk for another hour. But I will say. You should read the report. It's all in there. Basically, they were able to curate a list of systems that were infected and um, with the Trojan with horse, with the with the, ghost with rat. ghost rat, and uh, they were trying to see if they could figure out who was perpetuating the attack. They were able to find out that seventy percent of the servers from which the attack was being sent were hosted in China. However, those were in Chengdu. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. Mostly. But yeah, primarily the China servers were in Chengdu, I think. Primarily, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that China was involved or the government of China was involved. Because, you know, servers in like South Carolina were also involved, Mm -hmm. um, as well as Sweden, South Korea, and Taiwan. Most of these servers were set up on what's called a dynamic domain name system, which is dynamic DNS or... DDNS. DDNS, which Joe's going to talk about a little bit so that Very I can briefly. drink some water. I'm going to yeah, give Devin a break here. And, yeah, uh, Not much to talk about, really. It's real simple. I mean, uh, the domain name service is where there's you've got the name of your website, www.devin.com. Yeah. But then you've got the actual IP address, 
which is some numbers with dots in between them. Usually like three and then three and then three and then three. And two, or, yeah, or, or two yeah. or whatever. But yeah, and then, uh, but since IP addresses are not necessarily permanent, it used to be in the old days, it was kind of a manually updated system and then they had to go to something a little more automated. Now you, they've got this system that's really flexible called dynamic don, uh, domain name services where uh, say you plug a device into your network at home and that's connected to your router. So that, that device, like say it's a webcam, is going to have an IP address, right? And so, well, what do you do? You got to set it up and, you know, and like send an email to the domain name service guys and say, hey, would you recognize my IP camera and assign it a name or an IP address? Not, not the way it works anymore. So now your, your device gets in there. You've got software in your router that sends out a ping and, that get, and then gets back from a, a remote server um, its IP address, the new IP address. And then your software sends out uh, an update to a DNS server that updates their essentially their catalog, their directory that's got says devon.com and then it's got you know this it's got this IP address next to it. That's your new IP address. And and I presumably if you I guess if you reboot that thing, you might wind up with a new IP address. And then so it's time for that thing to send out a new update to the DNS server again. And so there's a lot of that going on right now, a lot of updates being sent to these, D, these dynamics, the DNS services. So essentially, the IPs are not nearly as permanent as they were, say, 10 years ago. Would that be a, yeah. correct, a correct interpretation of that? Yeah, although there are some, you know, I mean, if you want to, like, you know, IBM's website, I'm pretty much... But that's not going to change. Pretty much, that, I'm sure that's pretty permanent, yeah. But for a lot of us who are, are always, you know, getting new devices, changing providers maybe, or getting new devices and things and adding on devices and stuff. Uh, okay. Then, yeah, they're just constantly being updated that way. It makes it a lot more flexible and fast. That, so that, that, that explains something that we've experienced internally, which is one of us will get a new phone or we'll update the OS on our phone. Mm. And internally, we have an email system that will alert us when somebody new is there. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the kind of thing. And if you, yeah. anybody does that, right. you get that kind of notification. It sounds like, oh, yeah. if I'm understanding correctly, it's that very simple, to us now, very simple process mm -hmm. is just simply that... DDNS. Yeah. Happening. And of course, there's a reason you get that, that notification is because DDNS has been abused a lot, mm -hmm. you know, by hackers and such. And so, uh, and so even though it's a great thing and it's very convenient and handy, it can be used to like cover your tracks, for example, and yeah. then redirect people to a server they don't even know that they're going to. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's a, it can be used for sneaky purposes, even right. though it's a very handy tool. And so that is why it is suspicious that all of these servers were DDNS, particularly, what, 10 years ago? Back mm -hmm. when it was still a relatively newer um, thing. But it's not necessarily suspicious. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 To me, yeah. Now, finally. Yeah. And the main target for this hack does seem to be the office of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Um, this is his personal office. They don't have a permanent location. <laughs> well, they're a government in exile, but it's not his governmental office. It's his personal office. Like the person who says like, here's your coffee. Do you need me to go buy you new underwear? Like whatever. I mean, it's mm. not like there's huge secrets funneling through Theoretically. His, his home office. And, and uh, that's probably some interesting conversations going on in there. There may be, but the payload would be much more if they were to go through 
like the government, the government in exile office, mm-hmm. for instance. But we don't know that necessarily they're not also doing that. I would think they would be. So well, we're, they we're, are. We're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah. in terms of where else could it be? But yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so yeah, we'll get there in theories, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really cool. the right place to talk about that. Um, so let's talk about the social engineering component of this. It turns out this is not actually the first investigation that InfoWar Monitor, or at least people associated with the InfoWar Monitor, um, had aided with in regards to the office of, of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. In September of 2002, Tibetan groups said that they were targets of malware um, from China. They specified it was from China. They said there was an attempt to spy on their networks and otherwise disrupt their work. And they were pretty much just brushed off. There wasn't like a very intense investigation. And then in 2005, uh, one of the people who was deeply involved in the 2008-9 investigation team decided to start archiving malware, specifically the malware attacks on the Tibetan organizations, and try to um, kind of assess their payload, like what these malicious attacks were getting. So that actually was very helpful in kind of tracking what might be new and what what kind of things were happening um, and how people were gaining access to the office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. In early 2008, during the Beijing Olympics, this researcher that we were just talking about was able to gain access to a control server and then trace to the um, office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama through the control server of the malware. Um, And wait, just to clarify, because people may not understand, the control server is the server that the Trojan horse virus malware, whatever we want to call it, in the computer that's infected is reporting to it. That's the the control server is the one it's squirting data to. Is that right? Yeah. Or is the one that's controlling the computer. Or making it, you know, dance a fancy jig if that's what they tell it to do. Basically, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily squirts if it's it's sending data out and they can send it to anywhere, really. All kinds of other places. But it's the one that's telling it where to squirt the data. Oh, yeah. It's still giving it orders, yeah. Okay. Yes. So it's the the, the captain of this silly little robotic ship that we're on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's assuming that it really is a control server and not some innocent computer that's been hijacked temporarily. Yeah. Yeah, that's so complicated to try to figure out these internet things. It is. It really is. Yeah. Um, and so from this historic kind of archiving of attacks and, and successful ma- malware installations in, you know, in the Tibetan government, um, the investigators were able to ascertain that the Trojan emails that were being sent out, because that, that was the chosen method of getting malware onto computers mm. for his the office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, they were getting more and more sophisticated. You know, they started out by being like, hey, open this attachment, and then came to this thing that I have a screenshot of here, um, which was how Ghost Rat came. It was one of the emails that came Ghost Rat. So it came from, quote-unquote, campaigns at freetibet.com, which is an actual email address that was actually like utilized for Free Tibet, which would have actually had contact with people in the office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So, it, I mean, like, by all it, intents and purposes, it, it looks to come from there. totally legit, right? Mm-hmm. It would have been almost impossible to tell that it wasn't from this actual campaign. And I say all of this to say that 
it's totally reasonable that they got infected because it it was just like it would have been impossible to tell. In fact, only 11 of 34 tested malware and antivirus softwares were able to detect ghost rat. It was that deeply embedded in the little as a trojan that I mean even most of the software able to detect it or designed to detect it were they were unable to do that, mm. which is crazy. It wow. was it was sophisticated enough. It was super sophisticated. That was a clever little rat, you know. Yeah. Rats, are, rats are good at hiding a little crevices. They stuff. are, yeah. So this email, um, I just put in here so we can look at. I'm just gonna quickly describe this email just so for you guys to be able to kind of visualize what it would have looked like. It says it's from campaigns at freetibet.org, not com. Sorry. <laughs> Um, the subject is translation of freedom moment movement ID book for Tibetans in exile. And then it has basically what is a format for a letter that's in the body. And then it says attachment. It's the same thing dot doc, which would lead one to believe that, you know, here's, here's our English translation of this resource for you to be using as a template, right? Here's what it looks like in the body and attached is a document that you can edit because it's got places where you would need to say like this, my name, not, you know, insert your name here. Right. That's cr- I mean, that's a pretty high level of sophistication. Yeah. I would fall for it to yeah. be totally honest with you. So, so I mean, I, I, yeah, I would fall for this. I'm, mm-hmm. I think you guys probably would too. I mean, it looks uh, official. If it's I actually read official. my emails, I would. Yeah. yeah. And I know you don't. So. This is how Joe avoids <laughs> getting how he, Yeah, it is. So, um, you guys ready for theories? Uh, I am. Cool. Well, we'll talk about theories in a minute. It's everybody's favorite thing to hear me say. Uh-huh. Um, first, let's take a quick break. Add that brown thing and the yellow thing. Now put in the squishy red thing. Pour in the smelly white liquid. Stand there and wait for a bit. Now quickly, cut up the orange thing, another brown thing, and the sticky green thing, and the other green thing, and mess them all together until they're unrecognizable. Oh, and hurry back over there because the original red thing is smoking, which isn't a good sign. Now take it all and dump it into a pan and push it in the oven. Whatever you do, don't forget to set the timer this time. Remember how much smoke there was in the house last time you forgot? And when the timer goes off, pull it out and toss it onto the plates. When asked what it is, just mumble a couple of syllables. When asked what that is, just say French. Is this how it feels when you try to make a meal from scratch? Well, it doesn't have to. Not all ingredients are created equal, and thankfully, for less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers delicious quality food courtesy of over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States right to your door. It's no wonder why they are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Some of the meals available in April, which I had and it was fantastic, was the Parmesan-crusted chicken and creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. Okay, well, I don't actually like broccoli, so I didn't eat that part, but the rest of it was great. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com thinking. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com thinking. Blue Apron, a better way to cook, so you stop burning things. And we're back. Hello. Hi. I'm not looking for that sandwich anymore. Yeah, that other guy ate it. I, yeah, now oh. that I know that Dave ate it, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Hate that guy. Yeah. Teve is the worst. Teve is the worst. He's yeah. he's right up there with O. Such a thing as new sandwiches, Steve. Yeah. I think it might be time to move on. I agree. Um, so we're gonna do <laughs> typical Devon fashion, right? We've got two headings. One is China and one is not China. <laughs> so let's talk about China first. As in you mean China is responsible, that's what you mean by China? Responsible just, or China not responsible? I just want to talk about China mostly. Oh, well, okay. Let's yeah. talk about the yen. Great. Well, let's talk about the history of China. Yeah. When Actually, does it all begin? let's talk about the history of China a little bit. Because that'll give us a because lot of time. Actually, well, it is actually a little pertinent to this case in that I, I mean, I'm hoping, I guess at least, that most of you would already know why China might be responsible for an attack of malicious nature on the exile government of tibet or the office of his holiness the dalai lama but if you don't let me educate you a little bit well there's bumper stickers yeah there's the there's bumper stickers so yeah. that's a big there's one there's the flags and there's the yeah. flags which i see all over town yeah so that and they seem to be working they do yeah, they, yeah, doing the trick man yeah <laughs> they're doing it just they're like really... those coexist bumper stickers yeah. they're totally working really working really yeah. well no. Okay. So Tibet and China have been fighting pretty much since like um, ever 1368, I think is the date. So it's generally accepted that prior to 1368, Tibet and China were two different places. And then it's also generally accepted that since 1959, with um, a little help from the CIA and stuff, I'm not Tibet, sure about that. Tibet became a part of the People's Republic of China. Was that under Mao? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's when that... It, it was been. Mao. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mao. This... Chairman uh, Mao. There's a huge debate that happens around this. I would say it's similar to the debate around the whole Palestine and Israel thing, but generally less bloody. Yeah, essentially... Because monks are much less likely to throw bombs. Accurate. Yes. I mean, correct. Yeah. They, um, they, they res it's resistance through peace. Yeah. Um, and and flags occasional and bomb and yeah, but yeah, but, yeah, but essentially, yeah, the Chinese want that want basically to to run the place, and so they've been colonizing it, moving their population mm -hmm. in, kind of suppressing the native culture a yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not like colonialism at all. Uh, no, yeah. not at all. No. no, not at all. So the Dalai Lama is pretty central to this, as he is functionally the leader of Tibet. I think we're on our 14th Dalai Lama. As of I don't, this sorry, recording. I don't think we are. As of this today's recording. As of today's recording. Well, and if and if our current 14th Dalai Lama um, is to be believed, he will probably be the last. But more on that another time. Um, but you know, the government is in exile, and they are not recognized as a government by pretty much any government. Yeah, sad to say. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this kind of, although it's kind of a David and Goliath thing, right? I mean, there's this giant China who's saying, no, Tibet, you're part of us. And then literally the rest of the world is saying, no, no, Tibet, you're part of China. And Tibet's like, but no. And so somehow China should be responsible for this attack on this tiny little thing that is kind of, I mean, there's I mean, the government in exile. Of yeah, Tibet. yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's that's the reason why although i don't i don't really buy into that but um... well, i don't know that you know the chinese have, for example uh the whole taiwan issue has been going on for many decades and really when you think about it 
why the hell shouldn't the Taiwanese go their own way? I know they claim to be China too, but you know, what the hell? If they want to they live on their island and then have their gig, why the hell not? But for some reason, the mainland's very touchy about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, but I agree same with Tibet. But it, I mean, you know, politics aside, it's kind of, it's odd to me that somebody would say, there's this giant country that has functionally won the debate, right? There is functionally no debate on whether Tibet is its own thing or not. And yet they are still thinking, oh, you know what would be fun? Let's infect all of these computers all around the globe just to like see what's going on. I, I don't Which know. Which is so, basically powerless organization. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. it's, they're, they're going after what is essentially somebody who has no pull anymore. Well, there's some religious pull, but governmentally. Politically, yeah. there's very little. Yeah. I, so, uh, I, I, I do actually think that the Chinese are keeping an eye on, uh, an eye on the Dalai Lama and the government in the exile. I, so I, sure. Oh, there's, yeah, yeah China's yeah. paranoid. Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. But so let's talk about some of the evidence that people present to support that China was in charge of these or responsible for these attacks. By the way, I just realized hmm. this entire episode is going to get us banned in China. Oh, oh no. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, sorry, no. Chinese listeners. Oh, yeah. Dang it. Uh, I was going to add one all. It's Devin's fault. Up. She I picked al- it. I already bought my tickets to China. Uh, yeah, we're banned. The podcast <laughs> is banned. Uh, I, can't do my, I can't do my episode about the Falun Gong anymore. Dang it. Dang it. So, uh, China, it turns out, actually acted on some information that was most likely gathered from Ghost Rat. The office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama sent an invitation to a diplomat, and China pretty much immediately contacted said diplomat and said, um, hey, we heard that the Dalai Lama invited you to this thing. Don't go. And wasn't there an instance where they had internally talked about sending somebody to China and China preemptively denied any possible visa or travel yeah. request or something like that? Uh-huh. And then there was another instance where a woman who was Chinese, who was living in Taiwan, wanted to go back and visit her family in China. And when she tried to cross over some border, governmental officials presented her with like years worth of chat logs of hers and said, like, you can't come in here or you have to stop interacting with people. But that one there was something that they could have gotten the information from another way. Could have. Yes, that's true. Um, They could have. So actually, let's just talk about this real quick. Um, One of the researchers that was on the info war monitor research team was a white hat uh, hacker. You guys know what a white hat hacker is? Good guy. It's somebody who um, a company would pay to expose their zero-day vulnerabilities in their back doors and things like that so that they can patch them before black hat hackers can actually infiltrate, guys. Yeah, infiltrate their system. Basically, he's the guy that you pay to come rob your house so he can tell you how he robbed your house so that you'd stop leaving that window open. Oh, it's like right. that uh, It Takes a Criminal show or whatever it was a couple uh, yeah. years ago. It's uh, like that, I, except I, for on computers. I, I, would, I would like to have been on that show, you know. It's like, okay, I'm going to break into his house by driving my car through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> that, that show was so dumb because he would walk up and be like, oh, the front door's unlocked. Great! <laughs> <laughs> so one of these researchers was a white hat hacker named Nart Villeneuve. 
And he's actually the guy who figured out this other thing that we were just talking about. And that is that China was spying on their citizens with um, the Chinese state-sponsored version of Skype. Who would have guessed? I know. I'm sure their citizens <laughs> are well aware of that. But they were like basically logging every single conversation and chat that was happening through this system and keeping it on file to use against their citizens if they ever needed to. Basically, like, what everybody says is, like, the NSA is doing was actually happening in China. Mm, not surprised. No, me neither. So this guy, Nart, when he was looking at the code for Ghost Rat during this investigation, found this string of 22 characters, you know, in the malicious file. Right. And... I don't know why, but he literally searched Google for it. There must have been wait, something wait. unique about it. But it gets better. Literally searched, searched Google for it. And even more mind-boggling, Google actually returned something to him. They actually, the search found something. And Google sent him to a group of computers off the coast of China that was unsecured and without a password and basically housed the dashboard that let him control... All of the computers that were infected by Ghost Rat. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I know. I heard about that too. It, it does seem like they would secure that. But... It does. So they were basically what Nart did is he gave, he did a, he left a little piece of bait, a honeypot. Um, yeah, a little honeypot for the hackers to make sure that what he was viewing was actually what he thought it, he was viewing. Um, they took the bait. And so on March 12th, 2009, he was able to briefly gain control of one of the hacker's computers. Um, and he watched a series of commands. Presumably somebody in China was entering, uh, rummaging through the files that were left in this honeypot, finding nothing. The hacker disappeared. But they were able to find this little dashboard. We have a dashboard yeah. <laughs> on our website, right? And it's, you know, the yeah. back end kind of controlling. And the entire dashboard was in Chinese. And, you know, they were able to, like I said, manipulate the more than 1,200, almost 1,300 computers that were infected by Ghost Rat at that point. I was reading about that. I was like, they went through sort of a lengthy trial and error process to try to they figure did. out what all these yeah. different things did. Because it was all in Chinese. And I was kind of surprised they never didn't, just didn't go find somebody who spoke who Chinese spoke, to yeah, train. Read that Chinese, them a little, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of labor it there. would have. But, I, you know, for me, I know I'm presenting this as evidence for it being China, but that just seems so dang convenient, doesn't it? So they, so let me just make sure before, because I have some questions and maybe some pros and cons to this theory, okay. but... They traced, it was through uh, Nart, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. He was the one who figured out that the servers were in Chengdu or mm -hmm. wherever it was. It, it was, was a, it was not Chengdu. That one, that one was on off the coast. It was on an island off the coast okay. of China. But uh, yeah, so it was in China. And so they figured that out. But in all of their investigations of this, of Ghost, Ghost Rat or Ghost Nat, did were they able to tell what the initial source of the infection was? No. Okay. Not as far as I can tell. Because that I mean I don't know either. I didn't yeah, see anything. By the time they found it it was all over the place. Yeah, and oh. so that I mean I think the the thing of ghost rat is that it it wasn't necessarily 
how you are i i you may be thinking of it a different way you know on tv like one computer gets infected and then it gets into the server and infects everything on the server 1200 1300 ghost Mm -hmm. rats and that makes ghost net right yes but the the infection on this didn't necessarily spread from single like you know patient zero to server out to the things on the server Mm -hmm. it may have and i suspect did on many occasions they were single infection points yeah it was introduced in a lot of places Mm -hmm. i guess i was just trying to figure out if they could catalog what the earliest was was to try and figure out where it came from because i don't think they were able to ascertain how long ghostnet had been on any given unit okay that, or that, ghost okay. rat yeah no no that that's what i was after because mm-hmm. it it makes me wonder if you know well could somebody have been leaving a breadcrumb trail back to a dummy server that is in china so that's where mm-hmm. i'm like well maybe it isn't actually china's fault but the but then i look at it and the other side is that there's a lot of stuff that happens in china that is done based on societal pressures. Do you remember it's, um, did you guys ever read the, uh, about the, the great Chinese famine? Yeah. You know, Mao does this thing. He says, yeah. we've got to, we got to do all this stuff. We got to make all this food and people not wanting to look shameful to Mao overestimate how much they can make. And because they're falling short, that creates this giant famine. Mm. And I wonder if the same thing couldn't happen from an informational perspective of the whoever's in charge says, listen, you have to infect, a, you know, 100. Let's say just 500. Yeah, can you get 500? Oh, we could definitely get 800 and get all kinds of information. So they're they're just bombarding all these computers that have no useful information but the idea is they're being they're telling their superiors we have infected x thousands and we are monitoring x thousands and we're getting all this great data when indeed it turns out they're not really getting anything of note they're working really hard for it mm-hmm. did, did you see where i'm going with this is like yeah, well, it could be a campaign just to look like it's a successful campaign. Well, another way, another thing that it could be is, uh, you know, it could just be sending a message. I mean, given their behavior, if it was the Chinese, uh, and given the fact that they essentially kind of established this network that would be great for intelligence gathering, and then they just kind of like blew their own network, uh, maybe it was just all about sending a message. It might have been a, they, they got this on a lot of computers in a lot of different places and then just, you know, send a message to Dalai Lama and the government in exile and says, hey, we can watch everything you're doing, you know, it's just another bullying technique. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they, they do watch a, a officially, unofficially, I guess, actually, they do watch a lot of stuff, but I also think that's too much data to watch. And that's why mm-hmm. I just wonder if this is an oddball offhanded campaign to just look like they're watching even more foreign computers. Mm-hmm. So look, we, we can control it because China has said we're we're gonna go to war on the internet, even though officially they say they don't do that. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of reporting that yeah, goes but both ways. Lots but... of lots of research and development on that stuff. Yeah, so it, it, it makes me wonder if maybe it is just this weirdo thing that is going on which if it's somebody who doesn't isn't very good at it and they're like well we've got it we've got to infect as many as we can they may be not 
dotting all of their I's and crossing all of their T's, which means that would explain, for me at least, why that, um, what was it, the, the control panel site mm-hmm. was not password protected because they were just they were just oblivious to the fact that they could get traced well i mean i guess a a few counterpoints there yeah right one is um this as mentioned was an incredibly sophisticated trojan horse Mm -hmm. and i i like genuinely cannot imagine the kind of person who can design a trojan horse that is basically undetectable for the majority of the malware softwares out there, but doesn't know, hey, maybe put a password on your dashboard that controls all of those things. Secondly, they were able to trace back to a lot of servers, as mentioned, because they knew where the servers were, and all of those were heavily encrypted, except for this one, right? And so, like, for there to have been just this one-off, just for me seems more suspicious that it isn't than it is. Does that make sense? It does. That but isn't, it isn't, isn't what? It, that it isn't China, that it's like a red herring than mm. it is. But it, but it also makes mm. me think of the October, what is this stupid, the stupid, that website, October 21st, 28th, 2011. Thank you. Could not keep the numbers straight. Yes. Okay. Do you remember in the beginning I found in the source code that, they were they were reflected from another site for like a couple of days as their tester mm-hmm. before they they loaded it all actually on their server. Mm-hmm. So I could see it being the same thing as what well, we set up this control panel. It was our tester. We'll fix that later and we'll delete that or remove that. But let's work on this and then you completely space it out. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see that. I see that happen with major companies all the time. Yeah, You know, we set up the, the dummy login, the, the test environment, and then we link to the real environment and forget to kill that link. And so somebody can get in through, I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of stuff like that. Yeah, huh. that's fair. Yeah. Mistakes do get made. They do. But I, I don't think it's China. I think it's somebody else. Who do you think it is? I, well, that's the big question. I actually don't know who else I think it is. I just think it's not China. Because mm-hmm. um, I really, I really think it's just way too freaking convenient. For I mean, I just think it's too convenient, especially because as you were saying, right, if your goal is a long standing intelligence gathering operation and you see an invitation go out to this person, you are not going to go to that person and say, hey, by the way, that email that literally just came through, don't accept it. You're going to just you know, maybe even wait a couple days, like use some kind of intelligence there where somebody who's competent in that role would do that. Yeah. Would wait. Yeah. Somebody who's incompetent and doesn't know how to handle that information would react. Or somebody who was handed that information again, as a red herring will react to that information versus somebody who knows the kind of resources that were plugged into getting that information. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's also a nice way to cover up another intelligence source. Yeah. if you have actually spies and rats within the organization, mm-hmm. then you know you've got this thing here. It's like, yeah, oh, it, 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 our guy is close to being unmasked. Okay, well, we'll unmask our our computer penetration thing here, which would account for that, and that keeps our guy safe. That's true. And so that's another way of doing. It. This that's is like true. the whole. That's the thing about the whole intelligence business. You know, mm-hmm. it gets complicated. It gets very complicated. Yeah, it's it entirely yeah. possible that. Well, and this is why I asked earlier is if they were able to determine who was one of the early infections Mm -hmm. was because it would be very clever to me 
to infect yourself in one of your non-vital computers in the early batches to make yourself look like a victim for when it's found. There's always that. Oh my gosh. You know, look at us. We're a victim just like everybody else. This is so weird. They hacked this oddball computer. Oh, look at this. We got all this green information on everybody. Nobody will look at us. Another way of telling the world, hey, we're important. Obviously, we're very important well, to the but Chinese. If, but if it's a long, it, but, if, of trouble. but if it's the long game, you don't tell anybody. You just keep pulling the information and using what you're gathering, like you're talking about. But then well, nobody looks at you. Oh nobody no, I think investigates you. I think Joe's suggesting that Tibet infected their own systems to make themselves look more important than yeah. they are. See, I don't think I don't think that victims. I don't think that the office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama would do that because that's to me a little counter to what I understand their goals and missions are. But maybe you're right. Maybe it is a, a last ditch effort to 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 vie for attention. I don't know. Well, or, or there are other reasons. You know, I don't think that they're necessarily behaving like a bunch of shallowed monks there, and you know. That's the way the world is, you know. Sometimes the shortest path is through the mud, you yeah. know. Even if you're like, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So let's just briefly talk about the other people that it has been suggested it could be. Mm-hmm. One is a, uh, as you were suggesting, Steve, kind of patriotic hackers um, who aren't actually state sponsored, but you know are are hacking on behalf of China, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Or Russia. I mean, we see this with a, a lot of Russia lots of patriotic hackers in Russia and America as well. Um, And so then the next one would be Russia. I don't know why, but Russia does seem like pot stirrers. They are. Maybe that's because it just came to my mind. Maybe it's because I'm American and I've been raised to believe that, but I think Uh, pretty much everybody in the world is not cold. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think everybody justified reputation is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I don't see the benefit. It's not like Tibet is going to bomb China. Right. I mean, there's not a lot of resources there, but I, but Hey, I mean, maybe they just want to create or, foster instability in the area and that's a pretty good way to do it but but ghostnet is was i mean what they found in those 13 less just shy of 1300 computers Mm -hmm. they were all computers that were in i'm going to use the word network though it's not computer network but they were in the same kind of political network they were they were embassy computers and stuff yeah. like that yeah they didn't so, find them at like kmart or ibm right or so they like they that. had a reason to be communicating which means that it's a it's a rather small pool to spread the infection across but that doesn't mean that that infection hadn't also been dropped in other pools that had different spheres of contact than what the the office of his holiness the dalai lama had because He's going to have a very small group of people to contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whereas, actually, you know, uh, Billy, the manager at Kmart, is going to have all of the Kmart employees and, and regional guys to talk to. Like, it's spheres of influence. So this thing could be all over, and nobody would really know. Yeah, it might still be all over. It might just be that uh, they didn't want to put it all, you know, disseminated everywhere. It was just the Dalai Lama's office had the crappiest security in the world. And that's the that became ground zero for the infection. So, what's the theory that stems from that? I guess what I'm getting at is I don't I'm I this is for it's not necessarily China mm-hmm. is that this this bomb could have been dropped in a whole lot of small ponds, mm-hmm. and it just happens to be that we found it on this one group, mm-hmm. this 1300 computer group 
that all are connected and have a connection to China because of that. Got it. Okay. Another possibility is the CIA. Because again, see above. They do everything. Right? They're kind of pot stirrers, just like Russia. And then the final kind of idea is um, a stateless for-profit group. Although again, you know, if we're going to go around with Steve's theory, that makes more sense. But like... Where's the profit in this? In I'm the, not sure. Yeah, the office of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Like, I don't really but see again, the profit the, there, but... The Dalai Lama's office could have been an accident. Yeah, that's... Yeah, if yeah. we're going to run with that. Love I mean, it's, it's random. Who do I get if I land in Joe's computer and I get all of Joe's contacts mm-hmm. and Joe's contacts all are jobless schmucks, well, then I, I get no valuable information. But I land in Devin's inbox, and I get on Devin's computer, and Devin's connected to a whole bunch of high-level CEOs. Well, That's true. woohoo! I just hit the jackpot, baby. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the one exception of the sophistication of the phishing emails, right? I mean, that's seriously targeted at the office of his holiness the dalai lama and the free tibet society at large mm-hmm. listen sure. it is very likely that that email was copied from an email that some official source connected to the organization sent out so anybody can get a hold of those kind of emails through the dark well hey i get these things from viacom all the time and i send out emails looking like viacom or paypal we all get those faux paypal emails oh sure yeah but they're not half as sophisticated as these ones are actually i've been getting some really good ones lately oh i've seen some really good phishing scams is this how you're telling us that all of our money is gone no 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 (laughs) and it is not for the new gold teeth that Uh i have in my grill either Uh uh not at all Okay. Ah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, again, I, I, I don't really see the benefit, but a stateless kind of for-profit hacking group would make sense to me. I, I don't really see it either. I mean, it, what, what would they be doing? They could steal their data and then ransom it, which happens occasionally. Or yeah, they lock up their not... system and ransom mm-hmm. them. They haven't done that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know where exactly where the profit comes yeah. in. The, I mean, although, again, you know, the fact that these servers are kind of all over the world does speak to the fact that it could be a you know, vast-reaching organization of people. But, again, why? Yeah, I know. So, I, while I don't think it's China, I don't know who i think it is i'm gonna go with russia because this is america and i'm i have to blame everything on the russians okay there you go it's awfully hard to tell i mean right now we've got the big uh you know the whole so-called russian hacking scandal right here in america yeah and it's probably entirely bogus i mean there's no it's hard to say because there was just this revelation the cia has techniques and software that allow them to do all kinds of hacking and leave russian fingerprints behind and, and little traces that look like it might have been the ruskies uh, it's it's hard to tell if that if there was any hacking at all, and so maybe somebody didn't just leak a bunch of information. I mean, it's just impossible, it's impossible. to tell. Yeah. Despite... Well, and there's 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 a whole nother way that this could be anybody other than China, mm. and that is through. Um, you guys have heard of of mirrors, server mirrors. Yeah. yeah. So for p- folks that don't know, this is how you get stuff off the internet. Is there's a server that's got it, but there's a server somewhere which is a mirror image of it. And this is how our podcast gets out is it's what's called a CDN, a content delivery network. And there's servers all over that mirror each other so that not everybody is pulling the data from the same server, a.k.a. what happened to us for about six or nine months at one point because I didn't understand how the Internet worked. Yeah. Well, 
There's mirror servers, but mm. I found out that there is also what is known as a witness server. And have you heard of this before? No. Yeah. So he Sorry said yes, you it. said no? He, I said yes, he said no. Okay. Yeah. So explain it to Joe. Okay, yeah. so the way I understand what a witness no, server is. I want you to mansplain it to her. Oh, yeah, that won't get me in trouble or anything. <laughs> okay, so. Mansplain it to him. So what I understand, sir, is that a witness server is a server that watches a group of servers. So it's one of them should be the primary server and it watches all the others. And if something happens or goes wrong with the main server, that's uh, it will tell them, oh, switch to server number two. That's called failover. Mm. So it's directing the, it's saying, oh, you're number one. You get the majority of the traffic now. And you need to mirror and look like server three, four, and five need to look like server one. But what I don't know is if it's possible to have a server in the network that the mirror is controlling, but the other mirrors do not know exist. So theoretically, all the mirrors should know what, you know, that they have five compatriots, but there could be a dark sixth compatriot well, out there. I mean, frankly, I'm sure that there's ways to mirror the witness. I mean, yeah. or to spoof it actually would be a better term so that you could just take over a whole set of servers and just kick the old guy offline and say, oh, hey, guys, sorry, I just renewed my IP. Here I am. I'm dynamic, so it's happening a lot. Here I am. I'm in control of you. Now do all these changes. And oops, we're going to switch over to this server so, over here. So now server one, which has got all the content on it, is theoretically, supposedly, no longer online. Uh, script runs. It shoots all its data out, but officially it's off of its group network. So when it comes back in, the group doesn't know it's done it. Like there's a whole bunch of really simple and really complex and clever ways that that kind of server arrangement could drop off. And then it looks like it's, you know, the servers are all housed in these places. And the one guy that we don't know about in Virginia is the the site that all of that data is getting shot to. Yeah. I know. Which I, is why I, I'm, I'm totally on board with the theory that it is not China. Yeah. I feel like they are the easy, easy answer. Yeah, yeah. Although, again, I'm not sure who the hell else would be interested. <laughs> but even, even... There's a lot of other political powers who would love to have information to uh, potentially leverage. I mean, look at what we did. We, we tracked all kinds of stupid stuff for 50 years in the intelligence community that was for naught. Mm -hmm. But it was all for the hope that maybe one day that'd pay off. Well, and if they were really smart hackers who were doing some kind of spoofing or server spoofing or anything like that and you were targeting Tibet, of course you would say that everything was in China because it's the easy target from mm -hmm. Tibet. So, yeah. yeah. And if it was, you know, if it was uh, Palestine and Israel. Israel, so if they were to find this in Palestine, everybody would say, well, obviously it's Israel who's doing this, so you would leave the breadcrumbs. Let's say, look, it was them. It's yeah. their fault. Nobody notices where my system is shooting the external data to. Italy. Yeah. Although, you know, and, and that could be very much, very much true, although I'm not sure that the Chinese would really give a damn about 
covering their tracks. I because think, who's gonna, I who's think they do, do though. You know, what are the Tibetans going to do? Well, but it's not the Tibetans that they'd be worried about, Joe. They would be worried about reprisals or reprimands from, from other government bodies, and maybe those aren't the right words, you know. Mm. But they, they don't want, I mean, to a degree, they're brazen and they're brash they, about things. They don't but really to care a, about public opinion. But yeah. to, an, to another extent, they have to play by some of the set rules, whether yeah. they want to or not. Well, so, I mean, that's, but that's the thing, right? Is that like, they functionally aren't covering their tracks. I mean, they are being clandestine, right? They are hiding a little bit that, you know, if, if they were the people who did this, right, they have hidden this on people's computers, but everything tracks back to them. It tracks back to servers in China, right. which, which can't be proved to be government. They're not government servers right. necessarily. But so, so it's yeah. not as though there's some, you know, they were like tr- spoofing or like buying server space in like other places to hide the fact that it was China. Again, if it was China, mm. right? They, their server's right there. They track right back to China. They're on Chinese so, so, soil. Therefore, they must be sanctioned by China. Maybe. So, I mean, the only thing they're hiding is the thing that is has to be hidden to get information. So I guess I don't see them actually covering their tracks if it is them, but I don't, I don't think it's them. Mm, okay. There you go. So, I uh, don't know. That's a yeah. good question. Uh, again, could be a lot of people. Could be the CIA. Mm-hmm. Just for the sheer freaking hell of it. Yep. I, I think it's probably the Chinese that did it. But, just uh, for the heck of it. Could be some intern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah some be. CIA intern. Hey, I wrote mm. this program, boss. Yeah, just send it out to somebody. <laughs> see what I... Holy crap, it works. Speaking oh. of interns, are we sure that Justin isn't the one who did this? Probably was. Yeah. I don't know. I've oh. seen him try to type on his phone. That's true. Ah, okay. Anything else for the good of the order of this podcast? No, no. no. Okay. Resolved, I guess. Yeah. Well, what are we ordering? I'd like a new sandwich <laughs> and <bag of> chips. <laughs> um, so, as I said, we're going to post the link to the 53-page um, PDF, um, as well as some other links on the website. That website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. Uh, you can also find links to merch there if you want to buy like a sticker or a shirt or cool. a mug or anything like that. You can do that there. We are on iTunes. You can basically download and listen to us anywhere or stream us anywhere. And frankly, if you've gotten to this point and you don't know how to listen to us, then I need you to write us an email because like, I'd like to know how you did that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if whatever service you're using allows you to subscribe, you should do that. If it allows you to leave a rating and a review, you should do that. Ask your grandchild how to do that. If they're the one who brought you Mm -hmm. here. Yep. Um, Five star ratings, by the way. We're on social media. We've got Facebook page and a group. If you're looking for discussion, join the group. If you're looking for, I actually don't know why anyone would like our page. So, but we do it anyway. Fun, we put up interesting links. Oh yeah, we, we put up our episodes. We put up page. interesting links in our episodes. So, uh, like the page, join the group. We're on Twitter. We're thinking sideways. We also have a subreddit that's a little sleepy right now, um, but that's thinking sideways. There's a trend here. Uh, you can email us. Thinking Sideways Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we take suggestions. We take feedback. We take questions. general praise. We take questions. We take, you name it, we take it. Money. Money. Yeah. No, we don't take money anymore. Funny photographs. Yeah. Anything you want to send us, we'll take it. That's yeah, fine. And good. we'll probably respond even. Mm, 99% of the time we do. As long as yeah. it doesn't yeah. pop into our spam box. Yeah. Yeah. 
as long as you're not sending us ghost rat, we're good. Uh, Please yeah. don't send us ghost we rat. We would appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. All of that having been said, I think we're going to go ahead and ghost on out of here. Uh, me and my USB drive. What? I was waiting for one of you to, to do the, the Monty Python clickety-clack coconut horse noise for the... Uh, Why? The, the, the Trojan chicken. Uh, <laughs> Remember the Trojan chicken? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.